1: They say, happy mummy, happy baby. And I can tell you that when my baby slept, I was one happy mummy. And sleeping was something they always did well. In fact, so keen was I on getting them to sleep that I brought them a natural mat mattress to make them as comfortable as possible. So I'm delighted that this episode is sponsored by Natural Mat Baby, who've been hand-making 100% natural and organic baby and children's mattresses from their Devon workshop for over 20 years and were the first company in the UK to create a completely natural nursery mattress. These mattresses combine carefully selected natural materials including organic choir, natural latex, and organic lambswool for supreme comfort and breathability. Did you know babies can't regulate their body temperatures, so it's super important that they sleep on a mattress that helps them do this. Natural mats materials are naturally breathable and self-ventilating, helping your baby get the good night's sleep that all of you need. Hypoallergenic, completely chemical-free, these mattresses are the ideal choice for your baby and you. Confession, I saw how well my baby slept and so I bought myself a topper from their adult range and it's dreamy. Learn more about the importance of a natural night's sleep at naturalmat.co.uk or head to their Notting Hill showroom to have a browse. Listeners can receive 20% off their first purchase of all mattresses and bedding in Natural Mat's nursery category by using the code PARENTHOOD20, all capital letters, at checkout online or in store. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. One of the things I personally feel most guilty about is letting out the odd expletive in front of my children. It's something I swore I'd never do, something i look down on if I counted it before I'd had children, but something I find extremely difficult to control. But do I need to feel quite so guilty? Am I really that bad a mother? Maybe I need to understand a little bit more about swearing before I'm too hard on myself. My guest today is a swearing expert. Emma Byrne is a scientist and author, and in her book, the encouragingly titled Swearing is Good for You, delves into the science of swearing, asking the question that I asked myself the whole time, why on earth do we swear? Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. It's uh, lovely to be with you. It's lovely to have you. So I want to kick off with that question. Why do we swear? It's always struck me as something bizarre.
0: Yeah, it seems that it's a really important part of language. Um, One of the reasons we know this is that when people have strokes that damage the left hemisphere, that takes away essentially our ability to express ourselves deliberately, swearing quite often remains the spontaneous outbursts of emotional language. And I think it's because of that very emotional content that swearing has, that it has such a, a persistent place in our vocabulary. And as much as some nations have tried to outlaw swearing, Italy under in in, uh, Mussolini tried to completely outlaw swearing. I do not believe that there was any success in that. Um, it, it will not happen because we need this emotional form of communication and
1: expression. I suppose it's like a sort of verbal scream, isn't it?
0: It is. And even though it has linguistic content, when you think about what language is, what spoken language is, it is a bunch of muscles moving in concert. It is some of the most intricate muscle movements that we coordinate in our bodies. You have to coordinate the diaphragm, the lungs, the tongue, the jaw, the lips, the throat all of these things need to work in concert in order to speak the way I'm speaking to you now. And of course, now I'm terribly self-conscious about it and I'm finding myself losing the ability to do it fluently. Um, What happens with swearing is that those muscle movements that are to do with the swear words that we learn, particularly before adolescence, become very closely related in the brain with various emotional states.
1: So it's acquired. So, you know, if my parents had sort of sworn, but used the word potato instead of the F word, not that they did, but <laughs> <laughs> potato would have this kind of emotional, um, you know, uh, this, this emotional response from me.
0: It would have done if you'd only ever heard your parents speaking. And then the first time that you turned on some kind of cooking programme or a recipe book, <laughs> you'd have probably been utterly shocked. Um <laughs> But if we we are influenced by our parents significantly, obviously, but also our peer groups, the media that surrounds us, particularly as we get into adolescence. That parental influence on our language doesn't wane, but it's supplemented by other people's linguistic input, let's say.
1: And are there people that swear more than others? I mean, I'm just thinking I've got two sisters and my younger sister swears a lot more than all of us. (laughs) Why is that?
0: I mean, Sometimes it's it's a generational thing. I know you you are sisters, but I certainly sort of came up in the in the nineties, and there was a very ladette culture. This idea that in order to show that you were competent, brave, strong, just as good as any man, you had to understand the offside rule, be able to neck a pint of beer in five seconds, and know all of the swear words, and possibly burp a national anthem or something. So. I found that I came up in in that culture, that sort of ladette culture, and swearing was a badge of honour in that. Also, I've worked in very male-dominated industries, and that's definitely influenced the amount of swearing I use. There's lots of research that shows that I'm not alone. Women in things like engineering, sciences, anything that's male-dominated, tend to use more swearing in order to essentially make themselves seem more acceptable to their male peers. In fact, they will swear more than their male peers uh, almost in order to show how unshockable they are, so it may be that your sister has very similar experiences to me of you know trying to fit in with the kind of laddie blokey crowd because we still have this this belief that swearing is the province of, of male language, even though the data doesn't actually bear that out at all.
1: And have we always sworn as a species, like when they look back at human behaviour, you know, generations and generations ago, has swearing always existed, even in you know a long, long time ago?
0: It seems that it has. Some of the earliest recorded written swearing that we have comes from graffiti. And that's because swearing is quite often the language that is not used by officialdom. By its very nature, as soon as officials start using it, it's not swearing anymore. It doesn't have that power to be transgressive. So looking at graffiti at places like Pompeii, you certainly see the kind of ribald comments about sex, genitalia, other bodily functions being used to either insult your mates or insult the state. You know, quite often they use as a way of um, showing solidarity with certain points of view. But I think it probably goes back much further than that. Obviously, before written records, there's nothing for us to interrogate. But the reason I'm fairly confident it's a very early form of language is because of what happens when you teach chimpanzees to use sign language. So there's a a couple in the States, Deborah and Roger Foots, who uh, adopted, I can't remember how many chimpanzees they had at their peak. It was like eight or nine or something. And you really need to potty train chimpanzees if you're going to adopt them, if you're going to live alongside them, because in the wild they use their fecal material to essentially, you know, claim their territory, and they will they will fling it in anger if they're trying to you know repel an invader or what have you. So instilling some kind of toilet taboo was really important, and we know that they had this taboo because, uh, one of them when she was caught out having had a, an accident or possibly even deliberately made a dirty protest on the carpet, actually lied about it in her sign language. She was swearing up and down that it wasn't her. It was one of the, the human researchers who had done this this poo on the carpet. So we know they have this toilet to boot and they also had signs that could talk about needing the potty, um, which they called the, the dirty good. And so this word dirty or this sign, which is hitting the underside of the chin with the back of the hand essentially takes on the same characteristics as our word, shit. And the chimpanzees start using it in exactly the same way that we use shit. They would use it in frustration. They would use it to shout at one another. They would even use it in jokes. They would threaten that, you know, oh no, I'm going to do a poo in the way that, you know, my kids when they were sort of three or four, that's the height of hilarity. And so we know that they will use this sign Figuratively, not about actual fecal matter, but about this idea of here is this thing that is taboo, and I am angry, frustrated, or trying to get an emotional reaction out of either another chimpanzee or a human, and will use this word figuratively to get an emotional response, which is the absolute definition of swearing. And lo and behold, when they do that combined with this toilet taboo, they're not throwing poo around anymore. They're throwing around the idea of it. So I suspect that one of the things that allowed us to live more harmoniously in larger groups was the ability to swear to let off steam.
1: Yeah. And how have those swear words evolved? I mean, have we always used the same words that are considered in the English language to be swear words now? Or were there some other words that potentially we don't know about or no longer consider offensive um, that did once exist?
0: There is definitely a change over time in the vocabulary that's considered to be the most offensive. Uh, One way of looking at the last 50 years or so is uh, an Ofcom survey. Every, I think, sort of five years or so, they survey audiences to see what they think would be acceptable either before the watershed or after the watershed. And you can see a huge change from, say, the 60s and 70s, where words to do with religion were still considered offensive things like damn bloody they should be confined to after the watershed whereas there are other words that are to do with race or sexuality that were considered the height of good humor at the time whereas now those attitudes have completely reversed the bloody or damn barely raises an eyebrow but to call somebody the n-word The phrase that Ofcom uses is it needs to be editorially justified. It's not that any words are actually banned on British TV. That's actually a a bit of a, a myth, but that you have to be aware of the power of those words to cause hurt as well as offense. So I think that's a pretty humane evolution in the way that we think about language that we are now as a society more concerned about those words that have the potential to hurt and to damage relationships between people. Whereas things like bodily functions and sexual intercourse, we're a lot more relaxed about now. Um, Even the F word is not considered as offensive as it was even five or 10 years ago. Uh, And while I don't think most of the respondents said they'd be happy to hear it before the watershed, almost nobody now says that they would be shocked if the F word was used after
1: 9pm. Well, that makes me feel a bit better about my parenting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so now kind of on to children. Does swearing offend children? Does, is, it, is, it, is it terrible for them to hear swearing? It's not actually terrible for
0: them to hear swearing. And what tends to happen is that for most of us, if we let out a swear word in front of our children, it's usually because we're very emotional at that point in time. And the emotion could be anything from elation to frustration to agony to the terror of what you've just seen somebody do on the motorway, uh, which is when I usually swear. Um, And so when you are, as a parent, highly emotional, your children's brains are hoovering up information. They want to know what is this thing that is so salient, so important to my parents that they're having this huge emotional response to it. And their memories are very good at sort of pulling together all of these emotional moments. And they really must remember these, which is why they pick up swearing with such distressing ease. (laughs) It's because at the moment that you swear, they've spotted your emotional. And so they are essentially just hoovering up this information. And it's not that it will offend them because they don't have the context for that to be offensive. But what they will do is associate those words with certain emotional states. And the best thing you can do, and this is not just me talking, there's some really nice research from the states. The absolute best thing you can do is talk about the emotional state you were in as you swore. Those parents who say, I never want to hear you use those words. That's terrible. I shouldn't have said it. It's disgusting. I've got to wash my mouth out with soap and water. All the kids learn is that... A, their parents are massive hypocrites, and B, that emotions are not something that it's okay to talk about. Whereas if you do, yeah, and, and if you do talk about the emotional impact, they are then much less likely to just trot out that word because it's a word they've heard saliently. They understand that it has an emotional meaning and will tend to use it only in circumstances that are appropriate. But they also become more aware of the fact that we do all have emotions. And in fact, beyond swearing, Emotional language is something that it is really important to use in front of our children.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose what they they're so hardwired to be alerted to when we're distressed. It's like suddenly they're focusing, you know, mm. we can talk to our children, we can engage with them and they're totally ignoring us because they're involved with their Lego or whatever they are, you know, not wanting to do their homework. And then as soon as we get distressed, that's when they sort of listen to us. So I suppose, yeah, that's they're sort of pre-programmed to really listen when they hear that emotion. So it's the emotion they're listening to as opposed to swearing.
0: Absolutely. And it's really important to talk about emotions either, you know, if you've just sworn or when you notice you're getting frustrated and snappy, or you're getting I mean, I'm thinking particularly about the the negative emotions. Those are the ones that we usually sort of think, oh, I should probably explain why I behaved like that. But even the positive emotions. Uh, In the more recent book, the one on parenting, I was so distressed to discover that by the age of five, boy children in the UK and the United States have heard only about a third as many emotional terms from their parents as girl children. So we are bringing up particularly boys with this poverty of vocabulary around emotions. And so if the only thing they ever see is emotions are something that leads to a swear word and nothing else, then that's the only way they'll be able to express their own emotions. So sitting down and having that conversation as awkward as you may feel about, you know, I mean, was very frightened by what the Audi did just then cutting across three legs. Oh, I'm sure my daughter thinks that Audi is a swear word, actually. Sorry to anyone who drives a, an Audi. Um, but yeah, talking about those emotions, as awkward as that may feel, it then has a secondary brilliant effect that children can explain to you PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. What it is that's going on with them. And it's, it's so much easier to deal with your child telling you that they're frustrated than it is to deal with the meltdown or the tantrum so using that emotional language is a really useful way of helping children both recognize and manage their own big strong feelings um in fact my daughter i do remember about the age of two we went to a a restaurant while we were on holiday, it's this very busy buffet restaurant. And put her in a high chair for the first time in a while because so I like, You cannot run around, it's too busy, too many people with plates full of food and hot pans and things. Um, but we'll go and we'll have a run around after we've eaten. And she had her dinner and she was doing all right. And then she turned around to me after about 15 minutes and went, Mummy, get me out of this fucking high chair. <laughs> and for a moment, I was mortified for a moment. I thought, oh no, I can hear myself there. But I thought six months ago, that would have been screaming, crying, howling, the kind of contortions that only an 18-month-old in a a high chair can manage. You know, you're thinking, you're gonna have the whole thing over and and trying to calm down this child. Instead, she managed to express her frustration. Now, would it be nice if she said, I'm feeling really frustrated in this high chair. I mean, sure, but let's face it. That's not how I talk. I can't expect her to talk that way. So talking about emotions and how they impact us, um, either when we're swearing or when we're not, is really, really useful. And it really does help them then manage and understand their own feelings. And we really need to be on the lookout for the fact that we tend to shortchange the boys in our lives when it comes to talking about
1: feelings well talking about feelings is acknowledging them too and so often in in life you know people that are most unhappy are the ones that cannot acknowledge the feelings especially the feelings that are potentially considered sort of less desirable but are an inevitable part part of, of human life and emotion
0: yeah and i think getting from our parents the idea that um It's okay, not everything is gonna go right all the time. You are going to be disappointed sometimes. You're gonna feel ashamed or embarrassed sometimes. I, you know, I as a parent experience these emotions. Showing that it's okay to have those and they won't actually kill you if you acknowledge them is very useful. Whereas I think not so much Uh, in my family, I have an awful lot of Irish antecedents, so I don't think it would be entirely possible for anyone to have a stiff upper lip in my family, but in my husband's family. That belief of, you know, sort of, particularly as you say, those negative emotions, it's best to just stiff upper lip your way through it can lead to so many problems later on. So yeah, I possibly people who are just sticking their fingers down their throats right now going, ah, but talking about feelings. It's really important and if you find that you're swearing you're probably having a really good you know a big feeling that you could talk about right there and then so use it as a teachable moment rather than panicking and going oh no i said the bad word
1: and so I love that story of your daughter asking to get her out of the fucking high chair. Um and I love the fact that you thought brilliant she's able to communicate in a much more um in a much better way than potentially her age would dictate. But did you at any point say to her, darling, I love the way that you asked me calmly to get out of the, uh, uh, the, the high chair, but could you not use the word fucking please
0: <laughs> um not can you not use the word fucking but i have said that there are some people who find that a very strong word stronger than i find it and until she knows that someone is okay with that word she shouldn't use it in front of them and that there are some people i you give her a nice sort of handy checklist of you know nana and granddad not okay teachers and school friends not okay mummy and mummy's friends probably okay most of my friends I mean let's face it anyone who isn't okay with a bit of swearing tent probably drifted away from me (laughs) by now um so yeah that, that idea of not not never but being careful when to use those words and in the main she has been there was one word that I used in front of her and again hadn't noticed that I'd done it because I don't think of it as a swear word and that's the word crap and we were talking about her bike and riding the bike into school, and it's been outside in all weathers for a long time. And I said, "Oh, I don't know, is that bike any good? I'm pretty sure that bike's just crap now." And she went into school and she said, "Yeah, I can't bring my bike in because Mommy says it's crap." And that was when we got the phone call from the teacher saying, "Can we be careful what use words we use around our children, please?" And I said, like, "Oh no, I." Obviously, there'd been some emotional content. Like, her bike is crap. You know, I'm frustrated. I, oh no, this is a pain. We've got to do something about the bike. What well, is that feeling? I guess, yeah, frustration or disappointment or something. And she's gone, oh, crap is an important word. Crap is a good describer for the state of my bike, which I've been assured by my husband is not. He's fixed it. So I was wrong on that as well. But because I hadn't turned around to her at that point point gone, Actually, that's a big feeling word. We should, you know, she'd just gone in and used it at school because she had realised it was a good descriptor for the state state of her bike, but not realised that it could have strong emotional content to some people. So that's the only one I've run a file of, and that's the only one that I I didn't acknowledge in the middle of the conversation. And I think those two are related.
1: But ultimately, it's all about. I think that that skill of being able to read the room and work out what language is appropriate because it goes beyond swearing actually it's whether or not you tell the slightly risque story or allude to the slightly risque something or the other and that's a really important part of being a kind of well liked socially interactive human being so really I guess what the school should have done is just said listen let's talk about this word because actually maybe you've misinterpreted the meaning or what other people might might get from you saying that word rather than make you feel guilty about being the swearing (laughs) mother.
0: Yeah I mean I'm I know they have to cater to a range of parents not all of whom might be quite so relaxed about the idea of talking about swearing as part of our emotional repertoire but yeah it was it was definitely one of those moments of uh, yes my big feelings right then definitely involved a huge dollop of embarrassment. Um, yeah find myself going I need to write to the school and apologize I sort of felt like I'd been called into the headmaster's office. Um, but yeah as I said I, I hadn't acknowledged it so that definitely was on was on me for not pointing out that this is a, a, a word to use in context because kids are so good at context as you said it's a hugely important social skill to be able to essentially code switch between, you know, the kind of language you would use in a job interview versus the kind of language you would use in the pub versus the kind of language the first time you meet your new partner's parents. So we're all, well, most of us are fairly adept at this. Some people are phenomenally adept at this uh, to the point that they almost become essentially mimics of the people that they're around. Um, But children, do this without ever being explicitly told. There's a really nice study that shows that children as young as about two years old are already picking up the vocal ticks of the two main professions that they tend to have encountered by that age, doctors and teachers. And they will use the same sorts of marker words, like, well, so, okay, now then, that teachers or doctors use. And they also tend to use longer and rarer words when they're playing the doctor or the teacher than when they're playing the patient or the pupil. And they do this, they will swap back and forth as they swap their roles, both in terms of you know, the kind of language that they use, but also their tone of voice and their mannerisms. And through that role playing, there is that, essentially that social apprenticeship in how to adapt to different circumstances. So we needn't worry that we have to explicitly train our children in these ground rules of, you know, these are the exact places where you're allowed to say this many swear words, and then you can have a couple more when you're with these people. And then over here, there must be no swear words whatsoever. We don't do that. We tend to be quite tentative when we first meet people and tend to try an escalating scale of, you know, rude words or rude stories until we think oh yeah you know we're still being matched it's okay to to keep escalating children are the same and they will wait for social cues that say it's okay to be a bit naughty it's okay to be a bit silly they're really good
1: there's a certain intimacy in feeling comfortable enough to swear in front of someone and um it's like i trust you you know we're on the same page here especially when you've met someone sort of relatively new and i suppose then if you overhear your children you know using swear words but amongst a cohort of their own friends so in essentially a, a situation that would potentially be doomed suitab- deemed suitable you know you wouldn't say anything presumably or what, what what would you do there
0: yeah i personally wouldn't say anything what i'd be on the lookout for is whether or not it seems like everyone really is on the same page, um, that this isn't essentially a a way of of bullying. Um, But I'm fairly relaxed about it wouldn't be swearing that would set off the alarm bells, let's put it that way. Most of the cohort studies, the studies of corpuses of huge amounts of speech and writing, show that we don't predominantly use swearing to be offensive or aggressive. We predominantly use swearing to show either hurt or frustration, usually with ourselves, solidarity with someone else's hurt or frustration, or even excitement and elation. When you look at how football fans swear on Twitter, which is a bit of research my husband and I did, it turns out they swear just as much, if not more, when things are going well when they're going badly and they almost never swear at the opposing team and on twitter at least they don't even swear at the referee which is definitely different to behavior in the grounds i can can definitely attest to that um but we tend to use swearing as as you say these kind of social solidarity signals what i'd be more on the listening you know listening out for things like calling someone stupid or lazy or you know fat if that's not just a pure statement of observation if it's it's intended as a judgment or an insult i'd be looking out for those things that are designed to be hurtful and swearing is most of the time not the set of vocabulary that's designed to be hurtful
1: and so in a way is it potentially good to swear in front of our children
0: i think it's better that they learn it from us um that if the first time your child encounters swear words it's from someone in the playground or somebody slightly high spirits on the bus or the train on their way back home from a football match for example (laughs) um that those are i mean you can still talk about it if you're present you can still talk about it what might be going on but the important thing is that you are probably going to slip up at some point don't manufacture Um, you know, an opportunity to be frustrated and then swear. But when it happens, if it happens, stay calm, stay connected to the fact that you were feeling something in that moment that prompted you to swear and then talk about that with your child. And that way they'll get to understand explicitly the emotional meaning of of swearing and they'll get to understand explicitly your emotions and by extension their own emotions, that's a far better thing to do. All of the research shows that that is a far better thing to do than to essentially go into this state of, you know, shame and, and self recrimination. That doesn't actually help anyone. Um, and yeah, I think, again, depending on your children, their age, your culture, how you feel, where you're you know, who they're mixing with, I notice as my daughter is growing up, I'm a lot more relaxed about that sort of casual swearing, that almost non-spontaneous swearing, uh, where I'll use a word for emphasis rather than out of some phenomenally, you know, overpowering emotion, because I know that she understands now the contextual nature of swearing. Whereas if she'd never heard me swear before, and the first time she hears swearing is from, you know, it's completely out of context from someone who's in emotional state she doesn't know and can't interpret, she's not going to learn what those words really mean.
1: Yeah. And I guess if you're using it as that teachable moment, um, it's great. You know, I'm a big believer in kind of using us messing up to teach them that that's what people do. We're not all perfect and they shouldn't aspire to be perfect. Actually, they should aspire to mess up and and learn from their mistakes and also come back from their mistakes, whether that's apologizing or reflecting or, you know, doing changing your, your vocabulary or actions, whatever it is. I think that's what we're really doing is teaching, teaching our children not being perfect the whole time.
0: Absolutely. It's the only way to teach resilience is to let them see you having to be resilient.
1: Well, Emma, it's been great. That's a very reassuring conversation. (laughs) Um, I feel uh, less guilty about swearing, but I will definitely focus a little bit more on the um, emotions. I think that that, you know, makes absolute sense. And also, I suppose for ourselves, you know, reflecting so interesting to hearing you talk about, why we swear because every single thing that you talked about was like yes that's exactly when i swear um as opposed to the sort of fury or sort of you know um uh which is often you know it's more synonymous with swearing or supposedly so
0: yeah yeah this this conflation of swearing with abuse or aggression when they overlap to some extent but there are other parts of our vocabulary that are definitely just as much involved in abuse and aggression if not more and there are plenty of times that we use swearing for other
1: things. Well Emma thank you. Um, If you want to hear a little bit more about swearing and understand a bit more about why we swear I highly recommend um, Emma's book swearing is good for you Um, it's out now available from all bookshops Um, uh, but thank you thank you emma Um, and thank you all for downloading this episode of the parenthood you can subscribe rate and review wherever you found this podcast you can also follow me on instagram i'm at marina.vogel but in the meantime from emma and me thanks for listening and goodbye